Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, recipients of SNAP food assistance may be in for an unpleasant surprise next month as enhanced benefits aimed at offsetting the effects of the pandemic are set to expire, even though for many, the same challenges continue to linger. Also this morning, to your health, did you experience a touch of heartburn, acid reflux, or GERD over the holidays? It's a common digestive issue that impacts millions of Americans, but it can be a warning sign of something more than just a minor discomfort. And happening around town, the University of Findlay's 22nd Annual Comedy Jam is coming this month to the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. WalletHub out with their list of the best and worst states to drive in for 2023. And it is not just about traffic congestion, although that is part of the formula. They examined the entire driving experience from the quality of the roads to availability of vehicle maintenance. And when they say vehicle maintenance, they're taking everything into account from mechanics, the number of uh, auto repair shops to the number of car washes per capita. And uh, so so they're taking everything into account uh, when they say vehicle maintenance, a very broad category. They even factored in the number of vehicle thefts uh, into this formula here, and they crunched all of the numbers, and the way they came out, the rankings as they came out, the top five states to drive in were 2023, Iowa, Georgia, Ohio was number three, followed by Oklahoma and North Carolina. So those are the top five, Iowa being number one overall. Best state to drive in. The bottom five, uh, and this actually, well, there were a couple of surprises here. Not surprisingly, Hawaii was dead last. Hawaii was the worst state to drive in. Probably, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, is very expensive. Uh, gas uh, prices are just astronomical in Hawaii because getting gasoline to the island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean there uh, is not cheap. And so uh, prices for everything are higher in Hawaii, but uh, Hawaii dead last. And um, congestion also becomes a problem in Hawaii because there you can't build too many more roads <laughs> because you're on an island. There's only so much space you have. Um, so Hawaii was dead last. But the bottom five, Maryland, Rhode Island, Delaware, Washington State, and Hawaii, the bottom five. Uh, New York, which I thought was interesting to think of, uh, you know, terrible places to drive uh, around uh, New York City and so on. Um, But New York actually ranked 32nd overall, so a lot higher than maybe what you might think. And California, the other state where you think traffic congestion and a terrible place to drive, California was 41st on the list, one spot ahead of Michigan at 42nd. So, and I also thought it was kind of interesting because I was looking at some of the, the on the uh, WalletHub website, they uh, break down all of the numbers in each subcategory. And um, I think Michigan, a quality of infrastructure, meaning the quality of roads and such, uh, was actually like 33rd or 34 something like that. it was in the 30s somewhere and i was like was like what 10 states are worse they have worse roads than michigan i mean honestly what 
<laughs> what states have roads worse than Michigan? Um, but anyway, just kind of uh, kind of interesting. If you're up for a road trip, head to Iowa, the best state to drive in. But Ohio not doing too shabby either. So, so speaking of uh, driving, I thought this was kind of interesting. While some states, uh, New York and California among them, are phasing out internal combustion vehicles, uh, cars and trucks fueled by gasoline, Wyoming is actually heading in the opposite direction. Wyoming uh, is the first state, or could be, this is a proposal, it hasn't actually passed the state legislature, but there is a proposal out there to make Wyoming the first state to ban the sale of new electric vehicles by 2035. (laughs) While some states are phasing out gasoline-powered vehicles, Wyoming is maybe going to ban electric vehicles by 2035. And the uh, logic they are using is the uh, the main point, stability of the oil and gas industry, as opposed to the electric charging infrastructure. And they also cite uh, e-waste created by electric vehicle battery disposal when those batteries are spent. Um, States that uh, follow zero emission standard guidelines but have not banned gas-powered vehicles include Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Rhode Island. Uh, States like New York, California, Oregon are actually phasing out vehicles fueled by gasoline. Wyoming could be going the other way. Kind of interesting there. Um, We'll see if that uh, proposal goes anywhere. I don't know if you could uh, actually... Uh, ban- well, I guess you could. I mean, you could ban the sale of uh, electric vehicles, but uh, I think it's more of a making a political point than anything else. Uh, so here we go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories uh, to uh, start your day. Uh, if you are a grumpy Gus in the morning, and we all know someone like that who's just grumpy in the morning, maybe that is actually a good thing. It could make you more productive. Um. University of Arizona study says when we are in a bad mood, uh, we uh, are more attuned to certain details than we are when we are in a happy mood. And now you could argue that what's really going on is when you're grumpy, you're just looking for things to be grumpy about. (laughs) When you're in a bad mood, you are looking for Uh, negative things as opposed to overlooking negative things when you're in a happy mood. But again, you can apply this in a positive way in your work environment. Um, For example, what the example they used was uh, proofreading a document Um, says when we're in a bad mood, we can identify written inconsistencies faster than when we're in a happy mood. Uh, The research shows that when people are, um, centered around their negativity, when they're grumpy, they are more careful and analytical. And uh, grumpy individuals scrutinize what is actually stated in a text. Uh, again, they're using it as uh, proofreading a document as, uh, as a, an example, and we are more likely to scrutinize the actual words on the page. Uh, participants in the study either watched a sad movie or a funny TV show, and then were asked to analyze a story with some critical errors, grammatical errors. And uh, 
not just grammatical errors, but errors in theory. For example, uh, one of the stories suggested it's harder to drive at night with the with your headlights on, that it's better to drive with your headlights off, which I, I obviously is a preposterous uh, conclusion. But uh, that's what this piece said, and they were asked to analyze it. And uh, those who watched the sad content were more critical of the pieces that they read. Uh, so the next time you're in a bad mood, <laughs> proofread your uh, your next paper or your next uh, research project or whatever it is that you have uh, for work and we'll, uh, catch on to uh, errors in judgment and grammatical errors and all. Anyway, the uh, long and short of it is the broader implication is that when you're grumpy, you're more productive in that way. So something to think about there if you're grumpy. A little grump could be a good thing. Apparently, a very grumpy security guard at the Mall of America last weekend. Did you hear about this? Um, apparently, a man wearing a T-shirt that read Jesus Saves was ordered to either remove it or leave the mall. This is a story on MSN, um, which MSN doesn't do their own reporting. I don't do they aggregate uh, stories from other sources, but I don't know where this originally came from. I saw it on MSN. But uh, according to this report, a security guard told the man, if you want to shop here, you need to take off that shirt, said Jesus Saves on it. Uh, the guard was caught on video saying Jesus is associated with religion. Okay. And that is offending people. People have been offended, he said. The video has prompted outrage online. One religious group is now uh, pro uh, organizing a protest at the Mall of America where they intend to wear their own Jesus Saves shirts. So stay tuned. We haven't heard the last of this. <laughs> well, you're just being a grump. You're just being a grump. Should be interesting. Do we need another? This is, this is something that we have uh, had these stories for the past several days uh, in the news. And here's another one on the Newswire this morning. And I... To me, this is research from the file of, duh. But here's another story, uh, another study, rather. Uh, this one out of the University of Michigan, which suggests that social support for those with a genetic predisposition for depression is especially important. The team, and this is a serious subject. I don't mean to make light of the subject, um, the subject matter here, but... Uh, the team analyzed data from more than a thousand people uh, who were in the hospital and 400 individuals who had lost a spouse. So a very traumatic uh, situation. First year residents with a higher genetic risk of depression who lost social support saw far more depression symptoms than those with a high genetic risk who did not lose social support. So, in other words, those who didn't have uh, a companion or someone to socialize with, that social support structure, those who didn't have that were more depressed than those who did. And again, I'm thinking to myself, do we really need research to tell us this? That if you have a social support structure, you are less likely to be depressed than if you don't? I mean, that's what they're saying here. And... Um, it's, it goes on to say these findings reaffirm how important social connections are to 
uh, in factors uh, in well-being, how important social connections are uh, with regard to your well-being. And I'm thinking, duh, this, uh, I, I guess it's one of those things that it's research that confirms what we already knew, but it seems like there is so much of that. I mean, we've had for the past week, story after story after story on this, which I guess if you really think about it, it's probably not surprising. There was probably a lot of research going on uh, during the pandemic uh, about lost social connections and the effect of that, especially on those with a predisposition to depression. So probably a lot of research going on during the pandemic because of that. And now we're getting the results, but it just, it seems like the conclusions that, that were drawn were pretty much exactly what we would have expected them to be. We probably don't need research to tell us this, but well, we have it nonetheless. And how about this? Among the first things you need to know this morning, you remember uh, the uh, story that we had about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, college students using artificial intelligence to write term papers. <laughs> they just plug in a few facts and let the computer write their paper for them. Um, well, apparently, uh, one expert says this same artificial intelligence technology will someday and someday soon be generating most of what you read online. Uh, Nina Schick tells Yahoo Finance, we might reach the point where 90% of the online content we consume is generated by artificial intelligence by the year 2025. So just within the next two years, 90% of what we read online could be generated by artificial intelligence bots. Think about that. Where will that leave us as a society since we so much of our information is gathered online? One thing I can guarantee you, this program will never be generated by artificial intelligence or any intelligence for that matter. <laughs> some would say, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy today, a high of 51. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 38. In December, volunteers placed wreaths at the graves of 1,500 veterans at Finley's Maple Grove Cemetery for Wreaths Across America Day. And now volunteers are needed once again to pick up those wreaths. There's approximately 5,000 veterans here at Maple Grove Cemetery, so we are just getting started. But each year we add a few more wreaths, and uh, one of these days, maybe we'll catch them all. We sure remember them all, that's for sure. The organizer of the local event, Sherry Garner Brumbaugh, is inviting volunteers to meet at the cemetery at 9 a.m. on Saturday to help pick up the wreaths. Learn more about Wreaths Across America Day and the local event that was held back in December on the website. The Defense Department says it has positively identified the remains of an Air Force pilot from Ohio who died when his plane was shot down over Germany during World War II. In 1944, First Lieutenant Carl Nesbitt of Limo was the pilot of a B-17 Flying Fortress bomber during a huge bombing mission over Germany. The plane was shot down. Six of the ten crew members were able to escape the plane before it crashed while Nesbitt and the rest were killed. Their bodies were believed to have been buried in a local cemetery. And in 2019, the Defense Department recovered the remains and later identified them. I'm Clay Gordon. Sheriff Michael Heldman has announced promotions in the Enforcement Division of the Hancock County Sheriff's Office. 
Mark Price, formerly the enforcement lieutenant, has been promoted to captain. He will oversee the enforcement operations of the sheriff's office. Captain Price began his career at the sheriff's office in 1998. And another promotion, Jason Seam, formerly Detective Sergeant, has been promoted to Enforcement Lieutenant. Seam began his career with the Sheriff's Office in 2000. Sheriff Heldman congratulates both Captain Price and Lieutenant Seam and looks forward to moving forward with their leadership. Get more on the website. The American Red Cross says there is an urgent need for blood donors and Red Cross chapters across Ohio are working to increase blood donations. Among the local blood drives coming up, there will be one at the University of Findlay this week and one at Parkview Christian Church in Findlay. Get more on these and other upcoming blood drives on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. today's cover story, recipients of SNAP food assistance benefits may be in for an unpleasant surprise next month as the enhanced benefits aimed at offsetting the effects of the pandemic are set to expire, even though for many, the same challenges continue to linger. And joining us this morning is Randall Gabreth. Uh, he is director of the Hancock County Department of Job and Family Services, the uh, agency that administers the SNAP program uh, locally. And Randy, first of all, thanks very much for uh, joining us. How will this affect SNAP recipients? Well, starting in uh, the month of March, the enhanced uh, allotment will cease to be uh, distributed to SNAP benefit recipients. Uh, for Hancock County, that means going from an, an average of $1.6 million in benefits being issued monthly to about $650,000 a month in benefits being issued. So that's more than a 50% drop in wow. benefits. I, that was one of the other questions that, that I had because for those who aren't on SNAP benefits may not realize just how big of a bump this was. It was an enormous bump uh, for a family of uh, three that is in receipt of uh, snap benefits uh, the, the maximum allotment that that they could receive at this point in time is 740 dollars a month that's under the pandemic uh, uh, emergency pandemic allotment that will drop back down to what it would have been pre-pandemic uh, which is significantly less and it would be based on their income it won't just be a maximum set amount now, you point out uh, that the impact actually goes beyond the recipients themselves. It affects grocers, potentially employees at grocery stores, and, and things like that as well. Many of our SNAP uh, recipients are employed, and most of those people that are employed are employed in service at low-income service jobs. Mm -hmm. Those are the very jobs that are employed at the things like grocery stores, convenience stores, mm -hmm. places that these people work will be affected. There's no way around that. Yeah, and, and I mean, if you're talking about uh, benefits that are used in these stores and suddenly that's going to be cut almost in half, uh, that is a, a substantial uh, impact there to the bottom line uh, in in that respect uh, as well. Um, and and there is a, obviously the, the larger discussion of uh, – the validity of these programs and people depending uh, on them, the dependency and so on, generational dependency and, and so on. And those are all valid uh, discussions that are worth having, but that's really beside the point here because for the past couple of years, you have X amount coming in and now all of a sudden that's going to be cut in half when you still have many of the same issues that you're dealing with. Yes. And the, 
majority of our recipients are employed. We're yeah. talking about the working poor, not the unemployed. Uh, yeah. the, the remainder, the majority of the remainder are either over the age of 60 or they have uh, some kind of physical or mental disability uh, that keeps them from working. So uh, this will be a big shock to the system. And for those people that cannot be employed or retired, it's not like you can pick up another job to fill in the, the space. So right. this will be a, a jolt to the community, both at the level of the SNAP recipient and at the level of small business. And and uh, again, we see anybody who's done gr- any grocery shopping in the in the past six months to a year knows what the prices the prices have not come down over the past couple of years. No, it certainly so. comes at a time when, with inflation being as high as it is, that it's a, almost a double whammy on on SNAP recipients. Uh, I suspect uh, we've we've put together a coalition to sit down and talk about this, everything from mental health providers to the hospital to the nonprofits uh, to, to agencies like mine, simply because we know that people are going to have to start making choices, choices that are not very nice, and that do we get our medication or do we get groceries? And that the inflation is not helping that situation. Or uh, making that choice between putting food on the table and paying the electric bill or paying the rent. Exactly. Uh, you know, just to kind of think about that. And I mean, again, for most of us uh, who don't rely on SNAP benefits, if we can imagine taking our grocery bill and suddenly cutting it in half and saying, this is what you have to have to live on, that's, that's tough. Um, is there any chance that these enhanced benefits may be extended between now and this cutoff date? Uh, it- I don't know. There has been a little bit of talk about that at the federal level, but uh, with as you know, the, the, these benefits are connected to the farm bill. Mm-hmm. Farm bill is always contentious, and I never try to make predictions about what's going to be in that farm bill. Good point. Uh, I, again, you know, we think, uh, for example, the president extended the moratorium a number of times on student loan repayment. Would it be? possible or this may be outside of your realm of expertise would it be possible for him to just extend the pandemic benefits or? I'm, I'm really not sure what power okay. the president has over uh the the food and drug administration the u.s department of agriculture who yeah. administers the snap program I'm really not sure what power he has uh to extend those benefits on his own but the bottom line is you're not expecting that no i'm not so as you mentioned uh because this was uh one of the other questions what can be done about it to help those who will be impacted by this. Well, once again, we're trying to get the word out, not only to SNAP recipients, but to the larger public. Uh, I expect that the nonprofits that uh, run, like the West Ohio Food Bank, mm-hmm. uh, United Way, Christian Clearinghouse, uh, many of the of the charities will see the overflow from this. So we're attempting to get them prepared. Uh, I know the governor has increased funding to the food bank system uh, about several months ago in anticipation of this. So uh, we're doing what we can, but there is a limited amount we can do. Yeah. How often are families, recipients, families' profiles uh, updated? I mean, as you mentioned, uh, this will go back now to the formula that's been used before based on income. Is there a chance that a family that has taken a permanent uh, income hit, as many have, as a result of the pandemic, may be eligible for more regular benefits just by updating that income information? Yes. And uh, the way the SNAP program works is that uh, six months after application and acceptance of that application, uh, there's a uh, 
interim reporting period where we look back and make sure that the uh, we have all the information that the income and, and uh, household composition is, is current. Uh, there's also redetermination at 12 months. Uh, it is uh, imperative that uh, SNAP recipients contact us if there's a change in household composition or change in income because that will be affect their benefit level. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned uh, change in household competition. Uh, uh, composition because it's not just income it's the number of individuals who may be living at the home again we talk about the impacts of the pandemic uh led to uh some people consolidating households children moving back home or elderly parents moving in things of that nature which uh again we saw a lot of that during the uh, pandemic so absolutely that will impact uh, the the level of benefits that a, a snap household receives and it, uh, if that has occurred and it has not been reported then there may be an increase in food assistance that's available the emphasis there being that it is the impetus is on the recipient to make you aware uh, yes. of that yes um, now, as you mentioned, the SNAP program itself is administered through the Farm Bill, and as most folks, especially in this area, are aware, that is up for reauthorization in 2023. That process, I know, is actually already underway. There have been committee meetings. There have been uh, talks about what should be included, what should be changed uh, in the Farm Bill. And this is always, because it's a big part of the, the Farm Bill, these benefits programs, uh, this is always very high profile. Have you heard of any uh, changes that may be coming that recipients need to be aware of or at least have on their radar? Not yet. Uh, that There really hasn't been much uh, talk that's filtered down to my level about the Farm Bill. Uh, I suspect the drama that's been occurring in D.C. for the last few weeks has kind of taken precedence, but I suspect that within the next month or two, we will be hearing something, but right now I don't have any information. Uh, it will be interesting to see because, as we mentioned, this is always a... I don't want to say point of contention, but I guess for lack of a better uh, term, this is always a point of discussion uh, with respect to these uh, benefit uh, programs uh, during the uh, Farm Bill uh, reauthorization process. So we'll watch that very closely. Again, Randall Galbraith is uh, director of the Hancock County Department of Job and Family Services, which administers the uh, SNAP program. If folks have uh, more questions or, or want more information, how do they reach out? Uh, they should call 844 640 Six four four six. We got a link up on our webpage as well for more information about all of this. Randy, thanks very much for dropping by. We Thank appreciate you for it. having me. Well, to your health this morning, doctors estimate that up to a third of Americans suffer from gastroesophageal reflux disease, commonly known as GERD, and a significant number of those people don't know it. Uh, Dr. John Pandolfino is Chief of Gastroenterology at Northwestern Medicine, and I would suppose that it would probably be more accurate to say that a significant number aren't aware that that's what they have, because if you experience the symptoms of GERD, that's kind of hard to miss. I mean, you know something's going on, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, Gastroesophageal reflux disease, um, you know, is, is something that uh, definitely catches people's attention. But the interesting thing about reflux disease and, and these reflux symptoms is that they can really mimic a lot of other diseases. You know, patients can come in with chest pain um, that's very similar to what they would feel if they were having a heart attack. Hmm. Patients can present with cough, just like they would get if they had COVID. So there's, there's a lot of um, different types of symptoms, and people may not know that they have GERD. They, they know they have a problem, but, but maybe not that it's GERD that's causing it. So what exactly is this and what are the causes of it? 
Yeah, so GERD actually, as you mentioned, is, is gastroesophageal reflux disease. And, and what it means is, is that you're actually moving abnormal amounts of contents from your stomach, and, and that could be food, acid, digestive enzymes, into your esophagus, and then sometimes even your throat and your lungs. And when that occurs at too much an amount or too frequently, then it can actually cause symptoms because then it's irritating the lining of the esophagus maybe the throat and the lungs. And that's really where it becomes a disease. And the things that actually cause that are really related to anatomy and physiology, meaning that the muscle, the lower esophageal sphincter muscle that gives you an anti-reflux barrier is either weak or it's not coordinated very well with your breathing and your diaphragm, which is another muscle that actually helps create this anti-reflux barrier. So you disrupt the barrier, and this stuff in your stomach comes up into your chest, and that's really what drives these symptoms. So to be clear, uh, it's, it's most often caused by something physical as opposed to uh, something that is um, environmental in the sense that I, I think a lot of people, when they think of uh, acid reflux, uh, they, they think it has to do with their diet and the things that they ate. And you say that there uh, is a... Uh, much larger physical component than maybe what we understand. Exactly. Um, you know, the, the problem is the anatomy and the physiology, but then the foods actually aggravate it. So specific types of food will actually cause the stomach to, to empty in a very slow way. And if that food sits in your stomach for long enough, it allows more reflux to occur. There's more gastric acid. There's more juice there. Similarly, there are some medicines that will actually reduce the pressure in that lower esophageal sphincter. Things like peppermint, chocolate, some types of alcohol can do that. And then you'll actually have more reflux. So, so really what happens is, is it's an anatomical problem that's made worse by some lifestyle choices. Gotcha. Uh, okay. So with all of that in mind, then, uh, what steps do we take to control or, or fight this condition? What are the treatment options and, and so on? Yeah, so given the fact that GERD can be something that's very mild, episodic heartburn, you know, heartburn once in a while after a big meal, to something that can be quite severe where people are having symptoms every day, they may be severely injuring your esophagus. The way we approach that is very different. We really try to personalize approach based on the severity and the type of anatomical and physiologic problem that you're having. So one of the things that's easy to do if it's episodic and, and you know, maybe infrequent is just take some antacids. Um, but certainly losing a little bit of weight can always help, like 10 or 15 pounds can reduce the pressure driving the reflux. Maybe being very conscious when you eat, especially if you're having symptoms at night, to not eat too close to bedtime, like maybe give yourself about three hours before you go to sleep. And then maybe even raising the head of the bed. Now, if your symptoms, though, are, are pretty chronic, meaning that they happen two to three times per week, you may want to try a medicine that's going to suppress acid because the acid is what really injures the esophagus. It's really what causes the, the scarring, the erosions, and the ulcers. And if we can control that, most of the time we can control the symptoms. But there are patients who even after the medicines and we control acid still have reflux, and those are the patients that we'd actually need to send for surgery or an endoscopic procedure to fix the anatomy 
and that anti-reflux barrier that's, that's actually helping reflux occur. So how do we know when to bring that up to our physicians? You were saying in its mildest form, you know, you, you just uh, take an antacid if it's just occasional uh, and an and antacid is fine and will, uh, you know, control the, the situation. But when do we bring that up to our doctor? When is it an area of concern, kind of depending on where we are on that spectrum, if you will? Yeah, I, I think if you have reflux, you know, a few times a year when you have a big meal around the holidays and you take some antacids, you're fine. It's probably not, you know, something that you need to bring up to your primary care doctor per se. But if, if you note that your symptoms are happening weekly, maybe two or three times a week, where you're getting this, this heartburn, regurgitation, it's probably important to bring it up. Um, similarly, if you have symptoms like cough or hoarseness and they're not getting better and people don't know why you're getting that, Reflux may be an underlying cause, and you should bring that up to your primary care doctor. And really one of the most important reasons why we bring it up is that there are some risks related to reflux. You can get significant bleeding. You can get significant scarring, and it can block food from getting into your stomach. And then, of course, there's this very small but important risk of esophageal cancer. So, again, uh, underscoring why it's important to bring all of this up, uh, even when it's not immediately obvious, you know, what the symptoms are are telling you, Uh, again, because sometimes it's not easy for the layperson to correlate one to the other. Again, uh, Dr. John Pandolfino is Chief of Gastroenterology at Northwestern Medicine. Where do folks get uh, more information on all of this? Well, certainly you can come to our website at www.nm.org, and that's Northwestern Medicine. And if you plug in GERD, you'll be taken to our GERD page. And on that webpage, you will actually see that there is a self-assessment tool. We call it the GERD bot. And it's essentially a chat bot that takes you through um, a, a few questions where you can actually stratify your risk and, and set you together with the right healthcare provider. So a really nice tool for people to get started in terms of their GERD journey. We will link that up on our webpage. Good uh, uh, site to check out. Again, uh, Dr. John Pandolfino with us this morning, Northwestern Medicine. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Kind of a light day for the broken news this morning, but you can always count on having a dumb criminal uh, to uh, talk about. And uh, here is today's. Is it, is it still considered armed rob- robbery if someone tries stealing your money armed with a stapler? Uh, that is the story uh, out of Florida this morning, and you know there's always got to be something dumb going on in Florida. Police arrested 31-year-old Patrick Abbott for trying to rob a Miami-Dade County area grocery store uh, armed with a stapler. Uh, Mr. Abbott reportedly handed uh, a note to a clerk uh, saying, Read carefully. I have a gun with me. Put the money in the bag. Uh, the worker decided not to do that and instead called police after lying and saying that they needed uh, to help a co-worker. Uh, so they purportedly got on the phone to talk to a co-worker and to call 
<laughs> I had to call a manager over. I'm sorry, I have to call a manager over to open up the cash drawer. Uh, but what she was also actually doing uh, is calling police. Uh, when that happened, Mr. Abbott fled the store, but police picked him up a short time later as he was throwing away the note. Um, they, they searched him and discovered that the uh, the fact was he did not have a gun. What he did have was a stapler, <laughs> an office desk, desk stapler. That's a regular old average stapler. Uh, despite being armed with office equipment, police say he still tried to commit a robbery and he was, in fact, armed. Uh, they also point out that Mr. Abbott had been out on a felony bond at the time for an incident the month prior. Uh, judge has uh, sentenced him to another bond. $7,500. <laughs> maybe maybe just uh, uh, remand him uh, to uh, jail this time. But no, they bond bailed him out again. Uh, let's see. So we may hear about him again in the broken news sometime in the next month or so. Who knows? Uh, kind of embarrassing moments for one school in Prince George's County, Maryland. The school district apologizing to families after a teacher reportedly inadvertently sent out sexually explicit photos to the entire student body. <laughs> Oops! Uh, Dr. Henry A. Wise Jr. High School sent a letter home to parents on Friday saying that the photos were accidentally sent out in an email to all students. Uh, the principal explained that they tried to retract the correspondence, but uh, some students were still able to see it. They are asking those who did receive the email to stop sharing the photos. <laughs> I, I'm sure that'll work. I'm sure that, oh, because they asked so nicely, they're going to stop sharing the photos. The uh, school also noted that steps have uh, have been taken. This is the uh, postscript on the story. The school also noted that steps have been taken regarding the employee in question, but they did not explain what those steps were. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a big old oops right there. Oh, my. <clears throat> it's embarrassing. How would you how would you go into the classroom and face your students the next day? I mean, what what could you do to I think I would just resign and <laughs> skulk off someplace and <laughs> just disappear. What are those old uh, commercials on TV want to get away? Yeah, that's one of those want to get away moments. Um speaking of getting away, uh, four marine scientists in Palm Harbor, Florida, are in training to row 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. I kid you not, the four women who call themselves Salty Science are planning to compete in the 2023 Atlantic Challenge later this year. It is part of an effort to raise awareness and raise money for... Ocean Conservation. Uh, the plan is to launch off the coast of northwestern Africa in early December and row about 12 hours a day to cross the Atlantic in 45 days. To row across the Atlantic in 45 days. I, I don't know. That's... Uh, <laughs> 
I wouldn't think, I mean, when you get into the field of marine science, do you expect a suicide mission? Do you expect to be, expect to be called on for a suicide? Because that just sounds like a suicide mission to me. You know, raise awareness for ocean conservation, like fishing all of the bodies out of the water from the people who are trying to row across the Atlantic. Uh, moving on. Now, this is kind of crazy. This is a, an interesting story, one of those uh, stories that make you go, hmm. Um, if you've ever stayed at a hotel, you know that uh, if, if you get to the room and there's um, a mini fridge stocked with refreshments, that it will cost you an arm and a leg to enjoy those refreshments, right? They inventory those things, and if there's anything that's missing, then they charge you an exorbitant price, like $8 for a bottle of water or something. Um, so, it, but what happens when hotels want to charge you for just opening the mini fridge? Because here's the thing. I think most of us have done this if we've ever stayed at a hotel. We've used the mini fridge to keep a leftover drink that we bought someplace else or maybe leftover food even, keep it in the refrigerator to have it uh, another time. But uh, this was a story that was posted on the online bulletin board Reddit uh, with a photo that someone took from their recent hotel stay. Uh, there was a sign on the mini fridge that said the refreshment center contains a sensor Use of this refreshment center for personal storage will automatically incur a $50 charge. So just for opening the mini fridge, they'd whack you for 50 bucks. This uh, user claimed that they were staying at a swanky Marriott hotel in South Florida and said that they were terrified by the sign. Um, the user posting, I'm honestly too scared to even open up the fridge. I don't want to risk the fee or having to dispute it. Uh, others assured the Reddit user that the sign was poorly written and noted that there was a disclaimer at the bottom that encouraged guests to call the front desk for refrigerator requests. <laughs> you call the front desk for a refrigerator request. They explained one can request a fridge for free by calling the number. So far, the uh, Reddit user who originally posted the sign has not responded to the advice, so we may never know what exactly happened next. But be aware, the next time you stay in a hotel, it may cost you 50 bucks just to open up the fridge. Not even take anything out. There you go. Uh, that is today's Broken News Report. A look at the odd and unusual side of the news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced it's halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Uh, I don't know if this uh, is a statistic that would shape your life uh, necessarily, but you know that uh, the Mega Millions jackpot was up over one and a quarter billion dollars on Friday. One winning ticket was sold. It was in Maine. And I understand it was a, a town of like 7,000 people. It was like 
a village the size of Macomb or something, or Cary, or so, you know, it's a really small town. So somebody is a big celebrity there. Um, but one winning ticket for more than a billion dollars. And uh, the Powerball jackpot, there was no winner in last night's drawing for a half a billion dollars, so that will continue to grow. Have you ever wondered what you would do with all that money? I mean, for example, uh, whoever won the Mega, mega Millions uh, will probably have around $538 million burning a hole in their pocket after taxes, provided that they take the, tax, uh, the cash option, as most winners do. So, the uh, folks at ABC News put together a handy shopping list of what you could buy, some of the things that you could buy with a, jack, a lottery jackpot that big. If you are looking to get away after winning a big jackpot, and especially because, uh, in most cases, Ohio included, uh, you have to reveal your identity. It's a requirement. So you would probably want an escape from sticky-fingered friends and relatives and strangers even. Well, uh, Fortune magazine found an island, Rangiai Island, near Thailand. And you can buy the entire 110-acre island, uh, complete with fresh water, electricity, and cell service, for a mere $160 million. That's a veritable bargain, if you think your own island for 160 million bucks. Certainly a pittance for someone of your newfound status, if you are the big lottery winner. Uh, $69.5 million would buy you an iconic 240-foot super yacht. The Laurel, according to the International Yacht Company, offers an abundance of luxury amenities, providing 17 guests with an unbeatable experience while cruising. Um, and the yacht even has a helipad so that, you know, you can come and go as you please. I mean, if you don't want to be tied to an island, you can spend $69.5 on the super yacht and go wherever you want. Um, most of the biggest names in music can be yours for a private concert. Ariana Grande would set you back $6 million. You could hire her to perform for you a private concert, you and your closest friends, $6 million. bucks. Coldplay would run you a mere $1.5 million. So you could have several concerts, private concerts from some of the biggest names in music. And uh, <laughs> it'd be like, they say it'd be like having your own live iTunes shuffle at home with all the cash you'll have. Uh, if fine dining is your thing, you could buy $538 million $1 tacos. <laughs> $538 million $1 tacos. Well, I guess that, you know, you do the math. That's pretty easy to do. And really thought about that. Um, by the way, of course, the odds of winning one of those big Powerball or Mega Millions jackpots are one in about $302 million. By comparison, according to the Book of Odds, you actually have a better chance of being killed by a vending machine. I've actually been working really hard on looking good for a while now because I am on day 87 of no wheat, no dairy, no gluten, no sugar, no alcohol, basically no fun. <laughs> and that doesn't deserve a round of applause, but you know what does? The fact that I have not snapped and randomly killed someone on the streets of New York City. You can 
applaud that. You can. You can. Uh, and the thing is, I don't have body images. I really don't. Um, I, I know it also, though, depends on where I'm staying at the time, for the most part. Like, if I'm in L.A., I'm a beached whale. I get it. If I'm in New York, I'm pleasantly plump. If I'm in the Midwest, y'all, I'm anorexic. <laughs> and it is awesome. If you are ever having a fat day, you buy yourself a one-way ticket to Kansas City. And you will feel like a supermodel like that. I just went out there to see some friends. They were worried about me. They held an intervention. A barbecue intervention. Normally people, you know, in interventions, they meet you with hugs and words of encouragement. They were stuffing like cream corn and fried okra in my face. It was fantastic. <laughs> the comedy of... Kareth Foster, who will be the uh, headliner for the University of Findlay's 22nd Annual Comedy Jam, coming later this month to the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. And Sharinda Welton from the University of Findlay is with us this morning. She's just one of three comedians that will be That is correct, and we are so excited to get them here and introduce them to Findlay. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for uh, dropping by. So uh, tell us more about uh, the comedians. Uh, There's Kareth Foster and uh, Wally Collins and Tim Young. Yes. And as usual, they're all headliners, and they have graciously agreed to come and be an MC host, a feature, and a headliner. So people who are not familiar with going to comedy clubs, this is how they do it. Yeah. So uh, it, it's going to be so much fun. And as we've talked about before, what makes this event special and what, what makes it really cool is that it is all student-run. Correct. Yes. The Student Activities Board at the University of Finley, they go and they they find the talent, they book the talent, they are doing the marketing, they designed the marketing this year. Um, sometimes they have some help. This year they did it all on their own. So we're just really, really thrilled with the work they've put into this. And then the fact that it's outgrown the campus and we can offer it to the community, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, 22 years. Each, each generation leaves their own little spin on it and adds a little to it to keep it alive. Yeah, and uh, when we were talking uh, with the uh, folks at the Marathon, uh, center uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah. uh, we were talking a little bit about this uh, that it was coming up and they provide a little bit of support if if needed uh so i mean but again it's you know 99% of it is uh, is the students but it's always nice to uh, be able to interface with those professionals in oh, the field yeah, yeah. Uh, in that way too they they are just such a joy to work with uh, so they they help with the ticketing side of it right and they help with the stage management and and all of the technical for the show itself and then of course they're gracious enough to partner with us within the venue yeah so it's it's such a gift that they provide and you're correct as the students are learning we just had a meeting with one of the managers there with one of the students last Monday going Going through those details and finalizing some things and just them seeing the support as well as the respect is really great. So this is the Student Activities Board that is uh, doing all of this. Is this primarily uh, individuals who are going into this type of field? No. (laughs) (laughs) It is. uh, The organization is open to any student on Mm -hmm. campus that pays a student activities fee. So currently we have international students, domestic students, but their majors are across the board. So some of them are in the uh, sciences, 
some of them are in the arts, some of them are in uh, education. So it just depends on what the interest is. A lot of them join this board because they want an opportunity to experience something beyond their major that Mm -hmm. they can add to their portfolios as they're going on to their next step in education or into the workplace so that they can show that they're a more well-rounded individual beyond just the major. Yeah, so I'm thinking for some, uh, this may be real-world experience they will put uh, in use in a career field. Correct. For others, maybe it's something that ultimately down the line, uh, they will volunteer within their own community and put some of this. That is correct. Also, part of their tagline is that they are producing programming that is your source for edutainment. Part of the edutainment is they're being educated on how to do... 100% of the program. And then part of my job as the advisor is to ask the questions, what you're learning right now, how can you take that and implement it into what your future is going to be? What would the twist look like for your major? And having those conversations. So the edutainment part of it is they're entertained just like everyone else. We're bringing in lots of fun resources that are entertaining, but for some it's an educational experience too. They've never been exposed to it before. And then on the backside it's education for them on thinking beyond a box of we're just doing programming and what does that look like for my future internship or employment and i would imagine uh there's also an education when uh things go sideways uh, absolutely well and we talk about preparation in, in the it, last last couple of years things kind of went uh, sideways a little bit well and, uh, every time we are more prepared or the best prepared we can be when surprises pop up they're not as <laughs> scary. And we talk about that. When you're prepared and you're organized, it's safer for the surprises. And we've always been able to say we've been safe. We've had to fasten a seatbelt once in a while, (laughs) but that's entertainment. Because I'm guessing, you know, you're working with, uh, you know, comedians who have all kinds of schedules and so on. As a matter of fact, we've talked about some of the things. The timing, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. monkey wrenches that have been thrown in uh, sometimes the last minute in the past and so on. So it's always uh, an adventure. So give us all of the uh, details on the uh, University of Findlay Comedy Jam. It's coming up, what, next weekend, right? It is going to be Saturday the 28th. 28th. Yes, last Saturday of the month. It is going to be at 8 p.m. House will open at 7.30 p.m. The tickets are on sale now, and you can get those through the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts' box office. They're $25 right now. Okay. Day of, they go up to $40. So it's quite a savings if you make that commitment and buy them in advance. Faculty, staff, and students' first ticket is free, and they can contact the office for the, the information on how they get those. And uh, Tim Young it has done hundreds of universities. He also does many cruise ships. So if you're a cruiser, you may have you met may have him, uh, him yeah. and enjoyed his his sets there. And uh, he comes from Virginia with many different perspectives that are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then Wally Collins, uh, he lives in New York City. He has done so many things. And uh, he's going to be our feature. And then Kareth, who we've just listened to, she's yeah. going to be the headliner. So, And the cool thing about Kareth, she was the first 
comedian to ever be invited to perform for the United Nations. Wow. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, that is. And I know she also does some motivational She does, and yeah. Too, and, so. and bring your wallets. She's going to have some of her merchandise with her for that evening if you're interested in that. We'll still do the meet and greet with autographs afterwards for anyone who wishes to stay. So it's going to be a, a packed evening. And typically when comedians do that, they are charging for the signature, charging for the autographs. We are They're not doing that for us. They're gifting that to us. So cool. it's a great show. And it usually sells out. So, it does, yeah. Uh, get your tickets now uh, while they are still available and especially at a discount. So Yeah. Shrinda, thanks very much for dropping by. So great to see you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. So check us out online at goodmornings.net. It's our little corner of the World Wide Web. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.